G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. We're going to turn our attention to drug addiction and especially the drug known as ice. Now, for a lot of ice addicts, their story is one of losing themselves. But today, talking about finding hope and perhaps recovering what was lost. Last year's National Drug Strategy Household Survey found a slight downward trend in the use of methamphetamines over the past eight years. But on the downside, there's been an increase in the number of people using the higher potency crystal form of methamphetamine rather than the lower purity powder form commonly called speed. Hospital records suggest that rates of regular use has increased And along with this is the increase in the rates of harm. Well, we have two special guests today in the studio who have their own stories to tell about the drug ice. They each have their own powerful testimony about the strength and hope you can find having faith in God and overcoming addiction. Andrea Simmons is the founder and CEO of the Australian Anti-Ice Campaign. And with us also in the studio is Zoe Dimitriov, who has her own story to tell and is part of the anti-ice campaign move to establish a base in the city of Ipswich, just west of Brisbane. Both of these women have recovered from ice addiction and they have amazing stories to tell. So to, first of all, Andrea, a special welcome along. Thank you, Neil. And to Zoe, a special welcome to you. Thank you. Let me first start with you, Andrea. You're the CEO, the founder of this Australian anti-ice campaign. And there is a certain sense, isn't there, that perhaps authorities know more about ice addiction now because they monitor wastewater around the nation. And and so when they are actually, uh, you know, making deliberations and uh, doing warnings and things like that, they know that there is a use of ice that's actually spreading around Australia. Absolutely, Neil. Um, in six year, a six-year period, there was a 480% increase in methamphetamine found in our wastewater. And over the last two years, there's been another 37% increase in that again. Um, the problem is not going away. It is increasing. But thank God that uh, he's helping us put the freeze on ice uh, in our nation. I imagine, and you know, I've got to put myself into some sort of place of ignorance about just how ice affects an individual. And we're going to talk a lot about this sort of thing over this next hour. Uh, But just to pick up on one thought that I came across that might explain or describe what happens to the ice user, and I'll get your impression Uh, The idea that uh, there was some uh, research conducted in the University of South Australia and they found that brainwave patterns and physical movement patterns changed similar to early onset Parkinson's disease in adolescents who had used ice only five or six times. The dramatic effect on your body, on your psychological outlook, on your whole life. 
Andrea, give us some insight in here. Is, is that the sort of thing that happens? It just paralyzes you? It certainly does, Neil. Um, it, you don't realize initially what is happening. Um, and yes, those those tests have, be do- have been done by the university and very, very quickly it destroys the neurological pathways in the brain. Now, of an adolescent, you can't reverse that. You know, you need to uh, build new neurological pathways around that destruction inside the brain. Uh, but it's absolutely devastating. Ice hijacks the frontal lobe of your brain which means that's the logic and rational processing center of somebody's mind. When you can't use that, Neil, uh, you are acting on your animal brain. And the animal brain, as we know it, it only does what it needs to do for the next five minutes of pleasure, even if it means hurting and uh, destroying themselves personally and hurting people they love. Andrea, we're going to hear your story and I'm going to ask you to, you know, be open and frank with listeners today. And as with you too, Zoe, I'll get you to be open and frank with listeners just about what happens there. But the idea that when you lose yourself, and we'll get into those sorts of thoughts, and I know that's been something you talk about, Andrea, the idea that you harm yourself, but you're also harming others. Uh, you, uh, you, I mean, people have seen all of those sorts of images, uh, perhaps in news stories, where people have become violent and uncontrollable and uh, putting other people's safety at risk. How do you describe what's happening in the life of a person when all of these things start to take place? Absolutely. Um, what happens is, you know, you the, the general public see from the outside this person becomes outraged. They even say superhuman strength, and it's absolutely rubbish. What actually happens is inside the brain, a chemical called serotonin is depleted. The lack of that chemical serotonin sparks up anger, violence, anxiety. So the person doesn't have the option to counteract that. It, it's a chemical imbalance that sparks that up. Uh, couple that with the lack of ability to process in your uh, frontal lobe of your brain and rationalize and think logic, rational decisions, and then a depletion in ser- uh, dopamine as well, which um, when you have a depletion in dopamine, you have uh, depression and, uh, you know, it's, it's a horrific entrapment. But most people in ice addiction uh, go through something called psychosis and what happens with the compound of all of that together the person that's uh, showing those signs of anger violence and and aggression and uh, they're most of the time in in psychosis and they're fighting for their life they are actually in fear in a fight or flight mode and you know they don't understand what's going on at that time Absolutely, in fear and others at risk. And uh, we'll hear stories often about even our ambulance paramedics who are having to take evasive action because they've come across someone who is uh, addicted to ice and uh, they're fighting or trying to flee or doing whatever they do in that time. Nursing staff and doctors at risk in hospitals because of this anger outburst that happens Have you, no doubt, you've seen this sort of thing many a time and you've obviously tried to console people and uh, and I wonder whether people really appreciate what they've done after the event. 
Yeah, they don't understand what's going on. You know, I went through it myself and I remember being lost around the corner from where I was living and I had lost my way home and I spent the whole day crying and walking the streets and I had people um, asking me, you know, are you okay? Can I help you? And I was outraged that I thought they were after me and they were trying to, you know, take hold of me with the government and they were going to, you know, hurt me. And so I was angry and violent and abusive and, you you know, because I was scared, you know, so I do understand what's yeah, happening. Paranoia you're talking about there. You're paranoid that some people are chasing you and uh, they're trying to lock you up or capture you or kill you or whatever it might be. It was actually paranoia and psychosis because I was seeing things happening that weren't there. I was hearing things, um, what the person was thinking. It was ill in my mind, of course, and this is what we call psychosis. So it's a very scary place to be. I want to stay with you on your story here, Andrea, because you were a successful businesswoman and a millionaire status from your early 20s. And you weren't uh, into uh, this drug addiction until age 40. And I wasn't trying to give away your age or anything here. But uh, at age 40, some people would say, well, you sort of had things made and things were going well. You were successful. Why would a successful 40-year-old woman uh, be wanting to take ice uh, with all the risks, didn't she know that there would be risks here? Give us some insights into your story because uh, you were successful as a young woman and then age 40, things started to fall, fall apart. Absolutely, it did. And and logic, rational uh, you know, processing would say, why would you do that? Um, but Neil, at the age of 40, um, I had kids really young. You know, I was 18. I didn't go through the partying scene and, you know, trying stuff like, you know, most teenagers do. Uh, and not that any drugs are good for you, but, you know, I smoked cigarettes and, you know, I the person that introduced me to ice, um, you know, I, I loved him. I didn't um, think that it was going to be that harmful. I, I mean, it was only like a smoke. It's not like a needle going in your arm. That was my thought process you know and I thought well I'm 40 and I'll just taste it I don't know what it is it wasn't introduced to me as ice though and not that I had any information about what ice was Um, but you know I didn't see it as a harmful thing and I had I didn't have enough education or information to show me what was about to happen you had at that time gone through some marriage difficulties, rocky pathway, uh, things were changing, your life had become upset. Was that part of the reason why you decided that, hey, you want to try something new and different? Um, no, I had kind of come out of that um, marriage breakup and I, w- I felt free. I felt like, you know, my kids are grown, um, you know, I've got everything in front of me. I'm, I just want to experience life and try different things. I had no idea what I was stepping into. And is it typical that ICE is a problem for younger people? Because I know that your awareness campaigns are targeting school students, uh, preparing them for what they're about to face in the years to come. Or is there a movement to ICE for older people as well, middle-aged people, uh, people like yourself? 
Neil, ICE does not discriminate. We've got people from all walks of life, um, you know, from lawyers to doctors to, you know, mums um, and to youth. The problem is that our youth are young and their brain isn't fully developed yet. They are, you know, they're, they're, they're stepping into a, an area in the young teens that things, they're going to try and experiment with things. They're, they haven't got the awareness and the knowledge to make wise choices. And that's what we want to put in front of them because as you saw... Uh, with the university studies, it shows that young brain wave patterns, six or five or six times of use, uh, shows uh, brain wave patterns of Parkinson's. I mean, we can't reverse that, Neil. So we want to change the next generation. We want to unsell a dangerous product to them and expose it for what it is, unveil the enemy before they get, become entrapped. Because the reality is that out of 100 people that become addicted to ice, only two come out. The rest end up in prison, in mental health institutes or dead. It's not a good outlook, is it? Let me jump ahead here, Andrea. We'll pick up some more details on your story and we'll hear Zoe's story as well. But turning points for you and the idea that having faith in God is a strength and a hope for you when you're facing a recovery. Give us a little insight here into what was your story. Neil, um, God is the only way. There is no other way. You know, we're a three-part being. You can heal spirit. You can heal your body. Um, you can heal your your mind by going to um, you know to counselors and uh, but your spirit. Um, see, ice destroys all of that. All your spirit, mind, and and your body. And without God, you haven't got a complete recovery. It's by the grace of God that I'm alive today because I stopped breathing on this drug, and I knew that I died that day. And I called out, "If there is a God," I said, "Help! Don't leave me here." You know, take me. Don't, don't, don't leave me wandering. You know, dead like in the earth. Uh, and, and you know, four days later, I had an intervention with God—a supernatural, spiritual thing that happened to me. A light came out of the sky and pinned me to the ground. I thought I was in psychosis. I thought, wow, Andrea, too much drugs. But you know, Neil, God kept talking to me, and He kept walking with me, and He helped me get home. And on a plane, it was evident. Everybody around me was going, what's happening? Because Andrea is like a different person. And it was God. It was just God. Well, and I imagine the way you can discern that that was God and not just a hallucination, because sometimes people who are drug addicted are having hallucinations. The fruit of what has happened in your life, being freed from your addiction, is the proof that it was God. Absolutely. Instantaneously, uh, I was instantly delivered from ice addiction. I don't, you know, I've, I've detoxed a lot of people on my couch and, I, you know, I've walked with people in early recovery uh, with God's heart of love that he has for them and showing them the way, you know, to him and to help. But I I didn't have any of that, Neil. I, you know, I had physical symptoms because the price of sin is death. You know, um, so you, I had physical symptoms that, um, you know, God has been healing me over the years. But absolutely, you know, it's just been inc- an incredible walk. And, you know, if that was psychosis, eight years later, I'm still there because God is still talking to me and he's doing amazing things to help people get out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson, a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. 
Wonderful to have you with us. Talkback line open 1-800-316-316. You can also respond to a Facebook question on our, our Facebook page today. Uh, it's the question that today says, do you believe that miracles happen and people who are addicted to drugs can be freed? A simple question you might like to respond, facebook.com forward slash Vision Radio, our two special guests in the studio, Andrea Simmons, who's the founder and CEO of the Australian Anti-Ice Campaign, and Zoe Dimitrioff. She has her own story to tell. She's part of the Anti-Ice Campaign. There's a move to establish a base in the city of Ipswich, just west of Brisbane. Zoe, love to hear your story here too, because uh, uh, knowing the little that I do, you were just hanging around home and you were addicted to ice and your husband turned up out of jail. I wonder, I'm not sure whether this is the best place to start, but uh, but give us some insight here. Uh, maybe just, we'll come back to some details, but just how you were confronted by your husband turning up and your own addiction. Okay, yeah. So um, at the time, I was fully addicted to ice by that time and I'd actually had my kids taken off me. It stole everything that I love, this drug. And um, I was actually had people after me that wanted to kill me and I was walking home um, from docks from Ipswich to Bundamba and I just cried out to God and I was trying to get my life right with God because I actually was baptised at eight years old and did know God, but I'd really backslidden. And um, I was just like, God, if you're real, you know, you got to help me, you got to save me. I tried to give up on my own and I just couldn't give up. And I went home that day and I, um, I was so, so just fried. I'd left my door open and um, my husband came out of jail at that time. He was on a full domestic violence order. And he said to me, um, I love you, but I don't want to be with you on drugs. He was an atheist before he went to jail and he came out with a cross, had a full encounter with God. And um, he took me away um, away from my house and stayed at um, my brother-in-law's in a caravan and um, he took me to church and a pastor prayed for me and every single part of the ice was gone out of my hair. I had a um, hair follicle drug test after six weeks and that was actually for 12 weeks and there was no sign of drugs. And they said to me, you mustn't have been doing much drugs. And I said, no, I actually was. I was doing like a half ball a day, which is a lot of drugs. And um, so it's just a miracle. Jesus really set me free and really just, yeah, it was nothing short of a miracle. <laughs> you know, I can't help but draw attention to the good work of prison chaplains because your husband was in jail, yeah. has an encounter with Christ and no doubt discipled there in jail for him to come out of jail and to confront you saying, I love you, but... I can't have you back if you're addicted to drugs. And something in that sparks your interest in what has happened to him. Is that the way that happens? Um, yeah, well, it was that I was crying out and I knew that, that it was just he was sent there by God. I just knew that and I just knew um, he, he only sort of lasted for a while with God, walking with God out of that because he didn't have a church to disciple him. Um, but in that time, I just didn't give up on God and I just stayed with him and then you know, God transformed my life, just really transformed my life through that. Take us into that transformation, the way that started and what happened when we talk about having an encounter with God or, yeah. uh, you know, that time when things start to change, when you know you're in desperation, you're addicted to ice, what happens here that you recognise 
that the voice of God, the presence of God? How does that all happen? Well, I knew that I, I really believed that I was going to die. So I was trying to get my life right with God because I knew that I know that there's a God. So I was really crying out. And um, yeah, just I knew because I had no withdrawals. I wasn't like last time I tried to stop, I was so sick. I couldn't move. I ended up in the hospital with my kidneys failing and I was just so sick. And I was just like, I just need to have more drugs. At that time, I was like crying, like, I don't want to do this. And I was shoving needles in my arms and I wanted my kids back, but I just couldn't stop. And then when, you know, I, I Jesus just came to me, like I accepted him and it just went away. It just fully went away. Like I didn't have that. I was so repulsed by it and I hated what it done. And I knew that, you know, if I just kept going, that I was going to get my kids back. And I have got my kids back. I've had them back for several years. But, um, you know, like it just fully radically changed my life. And I realized, I guess the thing is that I knew Christianity, I knew religion, but and probably really in the last two years, God made it clear to me that he loves me and that I'm his daughter. And that's what transformed my life, that it wasn't just, you know, religion and rules and, and you know, I couldn't live up to all these rules and expectations of me. Um, and, yeah, just when I felt that love of God, it just fully just knocked me, like, yeah. <laughs> there was a pastor involved in that. You'd made some connection to a local church. Uh, the pastor prayed for you. How did, how did that all happen uh, with this encounter experience you had? Yeah, so my oldest son, um, Alex, was going to um, a church at Holland Park and um, he, took, uh, he wanted me to come there. So we went there, which was quite a drive from Ipswich, and um, Pastor George prayed for me and... Um, the whole church actually prayed for me and just, man, it, it just came off me. It was just amazing, just fully just left. Like I got delivered of it. That's what I'm going to say because it was so supernatural. How do you know you are delivered? Because is it because the craving for the drug when you're under that addiction is so strong you'll do anything to get that next hit? Yep. And that doesn't happen? You get prayed for and the craving doesn't appear? How, do, how does that actually happen? Yeah, I just felt free. Like if you've been in, um, like if you've been addicted to ice, you're so bound, you, you can't even think, you just want this drug, you can't even, you don't have any hope, you, you just, you don't even think, like you'll have it, even if you want to stop, you'll have it and then, and you can't stop, you just, you've got no control over that, you just keep doing it it's just a habit that you just keep doing and you just can't stop it i believe the only way out of it is actually jesus like really wow well 1-800-316-316 if you'd like to join in our conversation our two special guests both have their story to tell overcoming addiction to the drug ice 1-800-316-316 let's take a call Jason is on the line from Melbourne. Hello, Jason. Welcome. Hello to your guests and also to Neil. I'd like to say to them, Zoe and... And Andrea? Andrea, you are Sister Mining Cross, and I'll be praying for you. I'm praying for you. And there's a Mendeza song, which will also help you as well, called Overcomer, which is my life anthem. Interesting thought there, Jason, just to pick up on that, and I'll come to you, Andrea, the music that you listen to, and uh, even as Jason says, he's going to pray for the two of you, and uh, recognising that there's a Christian song, uh, Mandisa, he's, wrecking, he's uh, recognising the song Overcomer, very powerful. 
when you are uh, on the recovery, the sorts of things you listen to, the sorts of things you expose yourself to are obviously very important. Absolutely. And I think when you have an encounter with God like we have, um, you your heart is just to find out more to chase him to see what this amazing love and um you know this this you know this this person that is just walking with you and you just put in you know i'm always worshiping god and i'm always listening to you know to podcasts and um you know christian uh teachings and because i want to know more i'm hungry i just want to follow him you know and that's it's so true We've got Jason on the line. Zoe, was this the case for you that uh, when you, you know, the music you listen to, the people that you now are drawn to associate with, what's the difference here? Um, I found like in worship I got set free of so much. Like I would just cry and cry. And I remember this one time God just, I was trying to help another girl that was on ice and she was so bound and it just showed me that I hadn't failed because she was choosing to still use, but it showed me how free I was and I just couldn't stop crying because I was that person that couldn't stop and now I'm just free from that. Like, you know, it's amazing. But, yeah, people who you hang around is definitely a major influence. Thank you so much to Jason for your input. Uh, not long out from news, let's take a call. Patricia is in Stanthorpe in Queensland. Hi, Patricia. Hi. Patricia, need to be quick, but what are your thoughts? Um, yeah, I I wasn't actually addicted to ice, but um, I was addicted to heroin and everything else. And I know that feeling when God does deliver you. Um, it just happens um, where you are not... Um, needing the drug anymore. You don't feel you are even um, hanging out for it anymore. So, yeah, I I um, just lift up my hands to Jesus and praise him for what he's done in her life, in this lady's life, and, um, yeah, just continue to grow in him and keep going to church, serve in the church, um, and reach out to others that are in that situation because that's why God... You know, sometimes he allows us to go through these things in life because he wants his best soldiers to come out to help others. And I'm doing that myself here in Stanthorpe. I wrote a book called For This Cause and I was interviewed by your station a while back. Um, And yeah, it's awesome to be able to share the, the testimony to others. Wonderful to hear from you, Patricia. Thank you so much for calling in. Andrea, let me just ask you, because since we first spoke some years ago now, uh, the growth of the anti-ice campaign has extended into uh, interstates and uh, around Australia in, in, in quite a significant way. Give us an outline as to where you've got bases these days. Uh, yeah, well, we started out in Melbourne. Uh, we have a, a team in Melbourne, in Sydney, in Coffs Harbour, on the Gold Coast, in Ipswich, in Beanley shortly, um, Townsville, and in WA. And that's in Perth, WA? Yes. And right. and so when you say a base, uh, how does that look for people who want to make contact? Mm-hmm. Um, we have a national number, and if they want to make contact, the number is 1-800-NO-2-ICE. Uh, that's our national contact number, and we can then connect you with your state's team uh, we don't necessarily have offices in all of the teams or drop-in centres, um, but we are, are leaning that way to establish those offices. But we do have teams there that can help. And your business background, do you draw on some of that 
learned experience in business as you're looking to extend the reach of the Australian anti-ice campaign? To be honest, Neil, no. (laughs) (laughs) This is a different kettle of fish. Absolutely. Um, And this is a, this is God, absolutely God moving. Um, I, a lot of my previous business knowledge um, was just in traditional, uh, you know, retail and, um, you know, I had several simultaneous businesses like restaurants and, um, you know, beauty salons and tile showroom and building company. And, you know, it was just all about just acquiring assets. But this is something different. We're not doing this for the money, Neil. This is a DGR charity. Um, it's all to give back to community. We are not funded by the government. We um, are all volunteers we are moving uh through you know god's love to and we're training people that have come out of ice addiction like ourselves and we're showing them how to uh go back and unveil the enemy in in schools with their own personal stories and an evidence best practice presentation what that looks like is some uh, you know a a a PowerPoint that we can show the kids and people in community what ICE does to you, but then bring it to life through our experiences. So it's a whole different um, kettle of fish, I guess, here because we we I'm just moving where God shows that um, He wants us to step into, and I don't have a any knowledge of how to run an, a national charity. I don't have um, a plan as such. I didn't have a plan as such when when you know this started, and as it started. To, uh, we, um, you know, we had call from different people in different states, like we want to do what you're doing. Um, I would train them, and then you know they would start doing the same thing. So it's absolutely organic, and it's absolutely God moving, and it has nothing to do with me, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know you do have a plan, and you do have a strategy because I've seen the way you've got an organizational chart, and you've got some things worked out, which really to me look like wow, you've got some bases covered here, and no doubt. There'll be people listening to us that might like to join your team and it doesn't matter where they are all around Australia because if you've got someone who's interested in being part of the Australian anti-ice campaign, uh, they could set up a base in their community. Is that the case? Absolutely. What they need to do is just contact us on our website and that's www.australianantiicecampaign.org.au and click on the on top right-hand side. It says volunteer with us and just send through some information and we'll get in touch with you and we'll take it from there. And that begs the question because we might might be thinking that the worst drug addiction problems with ice are in the big cities but country towns are really really uh, where this sort of addiction is rife uh, give us some insight here Andrea about what's happening in so many country towns around Australia Neil, what happens is in bigger cities, it's harder to see because people are busy. There's a lot more people. Um, in smaller communities like country towns, it's absolutely devastating and destroying community uh, because for every person that's addicted to ice, it's not only affecting them, their family, but it's affecting people around them. You know, statistically, one person on ice um, is affecting nine people around them. So it starts to destroy community and it's much more apparent in smaller communities. What we have found though is because they are a smaller, tighter knit community, if we can get out there um, and we can start putting some action um, to to a positive direction and educating our kids but helping with intervention uh, for those people that are addicted to ice, we find that the community bond together 
and uh, we get a lot more traction in helping that community. Andrea, you and Zoe have such amazing stories and even today we're talking about that idea of a miracle intervention in a drug addiction. This doesn't happen for every single person though and I imagine that even as a Christian and having had your experience, you're still putting people into contact with detox centers and getting them on a plan and a process of being able to get free from their addiction. Obviously, we all want that miracle. And uh, sometimes, no doubt, uh, there's prayer for people and the miracle hasn't come. How do you get people on the right pathway to get free from their addiction if they don't get to have the same sort of miracle that you've had? Um, You're absolutely right. It doesn't always instantaneously happen like that. I didn't know God and that's what happened to me. Thank God I'm alive to be able to help others. You see, God uses people. He uses people like us who have been there. And we now put people on a tripod system of support. So say, Neil, you call me and you have a loved one that's in addiction. Uh, We work with you you to help your loved one start communicating with us once we can talk with them you know god starts moving through us to help them and we put them on a tripod system of support which looks like a drug and alcohol counselor which has had who's had lived experience we we uh, team them up um, with that person, with us as a body to support and love on them because uh, Jesus meets us where we're at and we just walk with them through their trials and tribulation and lead through example and show them the pathway to the Lord. Uh, we get them involved in groups like in AAA um, church and sometimes, you know, Neil, people that have got no housing, no food, so we help them with the practical things as well. But what I find is the biggest thing is that they look at us and they see what God has done and they see hope, Neil, and they say, well, if God's done that for you, do you think he'll restore my life? And we say, absolutely. We're not the only ones. God has is restoring and he's into the restoration of people and families. Zoe, you become a walking testimony of what God can do and whether it's the wonderful miracle intervention or getting people in touch with people who can stand alongside them love them. Uh, For you, was this the case because uh, getting connected to people perhaps in the local church setting, how was that early support for you? Or did it come through someone like Andrea? It was the church. It was really the church and that I knew that Jesus was my only hope really. And um, then early into my recovery, I started probably about a year in, I started messaging um, on the AIC lives and um, then Andrea contacted me and she asked me to work for her and stuff. And I was like, no, I'm not doing it. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then it was amazing because she said, I actually want to give you the Ipswich franchise. And I was like, oh, no, it's all right. I'll fundraise for Ipswich. She said, can I pray for you? And um, I said, yeah. I said, but I've got to go to Bible school this year. I'm not going to be able to do it. <laughs> and um, when, when she prayed for me, um, I just felt the Lord say, you will take back Ipswich in my name. And I'm like, okay. Well, I'll do it, but I don't know how I'm going to do it. And um, since then, um, things have just come together. Like the Lord's just really opened up doors. And, yeah, it's just been amazing, you know, that people have known me. And I haven't left my town, so they've seen me dealing to them at 45 kilos. And then they see me now and they know that it's real. So that's the best part about it is because – they know that something real's happened and I'm not that old person anymore that's selling them drugs and, 
you know, all junked out and stuff. So that's been a really big impact. I've had people that I'd sold drugs to come to me and just say, how did you do it? I want to know how you done it. I said, the only way is Jesus. Like, So that's been awesome Like in that way because normally most people would leave their town and, you know, fully be separate from where they were to get clean and stay clean. So that's been really good that I've been able to stand there and, and be that living testimony to people. Let's come to what I think is, you know, a really good part of our conversation and the idea of losing yourself and losing everything and recovering yourself or finding yourself again and recovering some of those things that were lost. Andrea, you really lost everything. Give us an idea, a bit of an outline of the things that you did lose because of this addiction to ice. Yeah, uh, and, and it started with my houses, Neil. I, I lost three houses and um, I smoked them all. I, I lost my Mercedes and you know my jewellery and my assets. I lost my family photos of my kids. I abandoned my daughter, you know, um, and... You know, to be honest, I, I lost myself. You know that I didn't even know who I was, how who I was being anymore. You know, I was um, walking the streets and homeless, and um, you know, I had um, no idea where I was at times. And some of the places that I ended up in, um, you know, I don't even know who that person is today. Um, but you know, it was scary when I first um, started to recover. I remember one of my daughters said to me, Mum, it's like you're a kid again. You don't know what you want and you don't know what you're doing. And I said, yeah, I feel like that. I feel like I'm a new person and I'm starting again because that person was absolutely, you know, demolished. That was It was broken. I was finished. I was on death's edge. When you talk about losing yourself, not knowing who you are, it's a loss of your identity. And when you speak so powerfully about an intervention into your life and God comes in and you find an identity in him, I wonder whether, I mean, maybe we're taking this into deeper waters here, but uh, could you find your identity and come out of drug addiction if you were chasing money, uh, chasing relationships, chasing all of the sorts of things that we tend to get distracted from God by, what are your thoughts about whether you can actually get free from those addictions with all sorts of other identities that you might try and chase other than God? Absolutely. Um, you know, the only thing that's that's really real is 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 your spirit. You know, that the stuff of this world is, you know, but a vapor. It just you know, it's just temporary and you know, once we can release ourselves from the things and really be a complete in him, uh, you know, nothing really matters. Like all the all the things it's you know, we're into saving souls. <laughs> you know, we're into saving souls and bringing them out of that darkness. But you know, the things of this world like I've had opportunities to go back into the film industry um, and and to do, you know, to record albums and to do other things. And I'm like, you know what? It doesn't move me anymore. 
it's great, I'll do it, but it doesn't really move me. That's just stuff, you know. I'm not interested in, in you know, acquiring businesses and, you know, developing properties anymore. I'm interested in saving the next person and helping hold their hand while they step out of a life in of entrapment in hell, you know, and they get to, um, you know, have joy and peace and, and walk the journey I've been blessed to walk. Zoe, if we talk about losing yourself, and I'm assuming this is the sort of story you You've had as well, yeah. uh, losing yourself and losing all of the things that people tend to want to hoard and and uh, you know create their own identity in this world. What are your thoughts for? What did you lose, and uh, and what have you felt like you've regained? Um, the biggest, the most hurtful thing I lost was my kids. Oh, I really yeah. lost my kids for um, about two years, um, two years nine months, I think. And, and my daughter was only like two at the time, so I lost like those really beautiful little kid stages that you can't get back you know um things happened to my daughter that was just I wasn't there to protect her and um it was really really hard and even really affected my son that was 12 I had um three kids that went into care and it really affected them and it still affects them till today so like the effects are are long term like what happens to your family you know um uh, I I I lost I lost my husband. I lost my relationships with my family, my real friends. Um, you know, and I I just I really just partnered with death. I just was destroying myself. When my kids got taken, I got worse. I just didn't care. Really, really, really suicidal, and really depressed. And um, you know, the thing is that when I fully surrendered to God. I, I ended up getting my kids back. It was quite wasn't that long of being clean, probably about nine months, and I had them fully back because they knew, you know, um, that it was real, and I didn't relapse and that. And um, but God, God really restored me mentally because I was so depressed in this whole thing. I was um, had my house broken into. I was raped, you know, uh, several times, and I just had all this crazy stuff happen. You know, just being tortured, held hostage in my own house. And I was so traumatized that I actually had convinced my husband at one point, let's just sell this house and go because the house was so traumatic for me. But God just broke it off me Um, and he can do anything. I had been depressed since I was 12 and it got worse in drugs because it just makes you worse. And God just set me free in worship one day, you know, in church, just fully set me free, didn't need to take my medication anymore. It's just amazing that, you know... um, everything that the years of that the locust has eaten that God's going to restore and he really has like he has really restored me I don't know whether you can remember the song that you were singing when that happened uh you know I'll give you a moment to think about that because I put you on the spot here but when we sing songs in church yeah uh, the message in those songs is as powerful as anything else anybody says in church and what we're receiving from God in those moments when we're in worship because our hearts are open is this sense that he has a different identity than what we think is valuable. And he tells us that we are valuable, that we're, you know, in that idea of being made in his image, in his likeness, we're embraced and we're loved. And uh, that idea of feeling accepted and feeling like you've come home Uh, because your home with God is so much more secure. His roof over our head is so much better than any other roof that we could possibly have. How do you think when when that time of being set free came, things started to change with your perception of who God is and what he thinks about you? 
Yeah, right. So I can't really say what song it was. It was just I was caught up in the presence, you know, yep. and I actually felt like electricity going through my brain. <laughs> and I, and um, Renee said, there's someone being healed here right now of depression, and I was, I was instantly healed. Um, yeah, so... Yeah, that's <laughs> the, the change in the way that you then relate to God, Andrea. I mean, you know, you didn't even have any Christian background. Uh, what about your growth and understanding who God is and what his presence and his purpose and his hope does for you? Like I say to most people, you know, I was so blinded to to God that he had to pin me down to the ground and, um, you know, put a light over me. And, and it was like, uh, what? I thought I was going insane. I thought I was um, experiencing aliens and I had no idea. But, you know, he was just so intense. And I just, um, you know, I just kept following in awe. Like, he's just so amazing, you know, one thing after another. It's just, you, you got to get hold of that, you know, because he's the way. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And you've discovered that. And not in the same way that we'll often talk about people discovering Jesus, whether it's hearing a preacher on a street corner or someone came and invited you for coffee and shared their testimony. You really have experienced a wonderful, miraculous transformation that's come at the lowest point in your life, both you, Andrea, and you to Zoe. We're running out of time. I do want to talk about the way that the anti-ice campaign has extended around Australia. You mentioned that you've got bases in uh, in Melbourne, in Sydney, on the Gold Coast, in Coffs Harbour, Townsville, uh, in Bean Lee, you've got one that's planned. Uh, there's a base in Perth in Western Australia. You're setting up a base in Ipswich, and uh, what attracted me to inviting the two of you in today is that you were trying to raise some money to get the base set up. Now, Zoe, you're going to be spearheading this sort of fundraising campaign for your base in Ipswich. How is your fundraising going? Because you were you were putting it out there that, hey, we need $10,000 to get this base in place. Uh, how's that fundraising effort going? I think we've raised about $1,500 at this stage and um, we need to just get more out there. We need to be exposed like in the media. We are going to um, – I am going to go to more businesses. Um, we just had a little hiccup with the link, but now the link's working, that we can donate through the link. It's all a tax deduction. Um, and, yeah, we just want to – set up an office and op shop so the op shop funds the office and helps us to raise money to educate the kids, you know, Department of Child Safety, Family Support, Buddy People in Ipswich, um, yeah, and other services, you know, um, parents, football clubs, all that kind of thing. Andrea, there has over the years been people who've come forward and they've been corporate sponsors and uh, been supporters in some of these other bases that you've got around the nation. Uh, room for a few more friends like that? Absolutely. We uh, we can't do it without the community support. Um, so we are, I guess, are putting a call to action, guys. We want to put a drop-in centre in Ipswich um, and we, we just need your support to do that. It's it's We're a DGR charity. It's totally, t- totally tax-deductible and the quicker we move, the quicker we have presence there so people will have a point of call to come in and get help. Okay, and you do... Uh, you're sort of on call uh, to do workshops in schools and in businesses. 
how do people connect with you to get one of those workshops going in their community? And I guess if you're in an isolated place listening to us today, I suppose you could do this on Zoom or how can people get connected here for workshops? Yeah, we, we do go out to isolated places as well. So we've I've been out to central Queensland in you know in Black Blackall and um yeah it's it's been amazing but when there's a call from a community we just work with them to come out and help but um people can contact us on our website Neil and um you know send us a message there at www.australianantiicecampaign.org.au okay so uh, a little short on the fundraising for the Ipswich base and no doubt there's needs all around the place for those centres. Uh, I love the idea that you've got this uh, focus on getting some op shops and drop-in centres. Uh, these two can be fundraising opportunities for you to fund the opportunity to get the message out to raise the community understanding of just how dreadful uh, this drug ice can be. Let me give that website, and there might be listeners who might like to make contact, find out about the good work of the Australian Anti-Ice Campaign. You might like to make a donation and help to uh, uptake that shortfall there for getting that uh, that base established in the city of Ipswich, just west of Brisbane. AustralianAntiIceCampaign.org.au That's the AustralianAntiIceCampaign.org.au Andrea, you did mention there is a 1800 number too for people who might be just in need of someone to talk to right now. Uh, 1-800-NO-2-ICE. So if you remember, NO-2-ICE, the 1-800 number to be in contact there. And uh, I think uh, I just want to thank you, both of you ladies, for coming in and uh, sharing your stories, sharing your heart. And uh, these are challenging times for so many families. Absolutely. Neil, um, if you if people want to donate, please put a reference there for which area you're giving into. Um, Ipswich uh, is... is getting the uh, drop-in centre together, so is Townsville. So please put a reference there so we know where your money is going to. Okay, well, you might like to make a general donation when you go online, but yes, you can designate uh, Townsville or Ipswich and no doubt any of these other centres around Australia too. Andrea and Zoe, thank you so much for joining us today on 2020. Thank you, Thank you for having us. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.